Alex, do you know what would be really scary? Oh god, what? What if Josh Rubin just showed up to talk to us about Scare Me? I'm Devin the Troll. I mean, Josh, Ru- Josh Rubin. Uh, hi. <laughs> Holy what the shit! Fu- the girls who cried be horror. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror on this, which is our second ever Streaming Screams mini-sode. I am Anya. I am Alex, and today we are joined by the incredibly talented writer, director, and star of the Shudder film Scare Me. Josh Rubin is here. Hi, Josh. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. How are you? Uh, I'm well. I'm well. How are you? I hope you're safe and sane and hunkered where you are, you know, screaming at the teenagers who are vaping their secondhand smoke, uh, maskless. Mm. You know, that's that's what I'm doing here in Los Angeles. I mean, we've been pretty sane until obviously you messaged us. And then we were really sane, really chill. Didn't freak out at all. Super chill. I mean, you know, I feel like people have, not that I'm Leonardo DiCaprio, but people have a lot of access to people who are just, a lot of people are home right now and less busy. And, you know, it's also, I'm, anything I can do to bring people's attention to our our scrappy little movie. This is like a, Mm -hmm. you know, we shot it in 14 days and got snowed out a time and a half and had Aya for nine. This was like, you know, this was a tiny, tiny one. So I'm happy people Mm -hmm. are, any number of people are seeing it. Yeah, I mean, it's a great movie. Quickly, do you guys think we could get Leonardo DiCaprio? I think it, he's probably home. Honestly, yes, with his um, 12-year-old girlfriend. Right, his 12-year-old um, girlfriend in an eco-friendly apartment, you know, somewhere. Right, 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 right. right. Penthouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible. All right, I'll reach yeah. out to him. Um, <laughs> so, Josh, um, have you always, like, been a horror fan, or was this, like, kind of a new venture for you, going into making a horror movie? I was always a horror, I was a horror fan before I was a comedy fan. Horror, I think, was introduced to me first, like, via my my sister, Rachel, who's nine years my senior. So, I think some of the first stuff I was watching was much like a cartoon character, Freddy Krueger. Like, probably, maybe, probably one of the first horror movies I watched was Nightmare on Elm Street or something close to it. Um hence my, you know, fucked up sensibility. But I, the, those, uh, those characters, you know, Freddie specifically was kind of like a, a macabre cartoon character to me in his, um, in his kind of own right. And I'm known for comedy. I'm known for, you know, doing stuff, you know, um, at, uh, at College Humor, um, and uh, which ironically, I haven't done a movie about gender dynamics, you know, is a very male oriented or was a very male oriented site. It's far more woke now as a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it's, I, think, I think it's in my bones and been in my bones and in my blood like longer or just as long as being a you know, a comedian or like a funny person. Um, sorry, there's a, a little t- Cujo like dog in the background. I'll mute when I'm not talking. But um, yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's kind of the you know long answer. Longest um, was a horror fan before before anything else. Well, incredible. I mean, I think it definitely shows in Scare Me. Um, it does feel like a love letter to both horror movies, but specifically horror writing, which is something that I deeply, deeply loved about it. Um, but also something I loved about it was the fact that it, in its own way, it was this feminist movie, you know, with Aya Cash as this strong female lead as, you know, not only like the best horror writer ever, um, but she never seemed to, to diminish herself or dull her light in, um, 
Fred's presence, even though he desperately wanted that from her because he was so insecure. So I loved that. And something else that made it really, really feminist for me as watching it was the fact that so many of the scares came from Fanny being in that situation with like a strange man in this isolated cabin, especially as he gets more agitated as the night goes on. So, I mean, I feel like it's not often that we get um, male creators, directors choosing to make stories like this, especially like feminist stories in general, but especially a story where Fred's character, the whole time we're kind of like, this guy's an, an asshole. Like, what's his deal? Where you kind of put him on blast. So what, uh, I guess, motivated you to tell a story in that way? Thank you so much for asking me that. And it's also awesome to be talking to, um, to women in the genre space. Um, or anyone women identifying in the genre space because uh, you know it's I think I think it's a, a piece of this the DNA of how this whole inception came to be that can be overlooked or can be just kind of looked at like you know not knocking any male interviewers or journalists I've talked to but it's kind of like whoa so it's it's a pretty woke you know pretty woke movie and it's it's a it's a me too movie that's kind of crazy anyway you know, um, tell me more about how this relates to Stephen King's Cat's Eye. So I'm glad to be talking to, to you guys about this and I'm glad you asked about it. Um, and curious for your, you know, your insight on this as well. Um, uh, so, you know, the, the, the why I made this thing in the first place was because, you know, um, I was in the commercial game, I still am. Um, you know, it's a, it's a uh, can be a soulless thing, um, A, so, I wanted to, I wanted to give myself a shot and was like sick of taking meetings. I'm like, I'm going to make a thing. I'll make it in my hometown. I know at mom and dad's house, I can put some crew members up and do it the kind of Duplassian way. So the first piece of it was reading like Mark and Jay Duplass's book, like brothers and the cavalry is coming speech at South by that Mark did getting motivated to just kind of do my own thing. Um, and in piecing together what I, what I knew was going to be a very low budget because it was what I could afford or afford to ask people resources for. A low budget film that ideally was in the genre space, maybe I'll make money on the back end because it's in the genre space, and ideally opposite an actress who would be able to do different things that she was known to do in whatever space she was in. So Aya Cash came to the picture because she's a local to the town we shot in to where I grew up um, and she's also brilliant I know her husband very well so she was kind of in my in my network so I knew that I wanted to kind of make a movie that felt like sort of the midnight movies I'd pop on as a you know chubby lonely kid uh, to escape from the world and you know um, eat pizza and enjoy um, but also simultaneously to me just knowing I wanted to make this thing sparring opposite this actress who I knew I didn't want to be a sexualized role. I wanted to, to have her do what I did to do interesting stuff. Again, she didn't get to normally do A. So, so the B piece of this is I started writing this um, or sort of conceiving the idea in early 2018. And this was the beginning of, or I'd say the height of, uh, the Me Too movement. And so Weinstein was already outed. You had people, you know, like Kevin Spacey, I think by then, maybe even Dustin Hoffman. But when I was most angry was Aziz Ansari, because here's a comedian in my circle who's known as a nice guy, which is, the, I, I guess, some darker term now. But here's someone who's, oh my gosh, he's, he's one of the perceptively kindest 
most woke, say, comedians ever. And despite what the accusation controversy might be, he took advantage of a young woman. And I started having these conversations, impassioned conversations with a lot of women on Instagram who were either fans of mine through College Humor, which again, funny and ironic that it's a male-oriented site mm -hmm. when it was, or just women buddies of mine who were thanking me for being a male ally when all I was doing was, to me, and maybe this was, this, this was impactful enough to them. I was hitting the share button. I was simply like sharing someone else's, another woman's frustration about what was going on with the movement or certainly with disease and voicing like, where's this, where are all my, my homies at? Why aren't my dudes speaking up about why this is fucked up? Why can't Louis keep his dick in his pants? Like, are, are like all dudes shitty? And so it kind of became, I just had a lot of these conversations and I didn't feel like by hitting the share button, I was doing much of anything, but that is a piece of what male allyship is. You're signal boosting something that, you know, um, that, that women can use your hand to do um, uh, when, you know, when in these types of situations. A lot of the conversations I was having wasn't just about sexual abuse or being taken advantage of, but about being plowed over, talked over, gender dynamics of men chest thumping and wanting to be heard and diminishing, like you were talking about, a woman's light. Um, so that became my engine for writing angry and, and probably why the movie was produced as fast as it was on the heels of Get Out, even dare I say, here's something that has just as palpable in its own right, I wouldn't say, you know, I'd say equal, equal, equally palpable um, social commentary edge. This is a very serious thing. And I didn't want to make it a Me Too movie. I wanted to make it something that went after a very specific type of guy that is a, you know, a 30-something American male who, um, is fractured and feels diminished and like he doesn't have insulation and can't self-soothe in the face of a woman's greatness or in a woman's light, which is why, and I'm almost done, <laughs> I swear to God, but why at the end of the movie in act three, she finally shrinks and finally diminishes and will go so far as to leave her physical represent, representation of her light in that cabin because he had no, went to the last resort of, I'm just going to raise my voice mm -hmm. or at least see if I can actually threaten you, whether he means it or not. And so much so that she will, as abused women do, um, or as women who are great and have all that light and take up that space around them in the face of that, you know, that violent effort or the chest thumping, I'll leave my fucking belongings behind to get to safety. And that's what she does. Mm -hmm. And so that's how <laughs> we get to the end. I think there was a nine minute answer, but I'm just so excited to talk to you guys about it specifically. Again, no, please no, I, talk I, forever. I, we love it. Yeah, for real. Um, do you have anything to add, Alex? No, it's just very refreshing to see, especially from a man, because I feel like those kind of stories really are only told by women for the most part because it's what we relate to it's something that we can you know represent and understand fully and it it kind of reminds me of that margaret atwood quote the women's men's biggest fear is that women will laugh at them and women's biggest fear is that men will kill them and it's really important yeah. to have both men and women making media that represents this so that people it can be out there in the world and people can understand and it I feel like you never talk down on any of it you know even in the moments when you know 
Fanny would be saying something to Fred about like, oh, you're just like a stupid white dude. And he's like, what's your problem with like, are you one of those feminists that, you know, hates white men? She's like, dude, I'm ordering you za. Chill out. Like you always put it in its place. And it's great. It's really refreshing to see. Um, you know, we, we just love your movie. It's so great. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, something that's great about it, it kind of hand in hand in that is the fact that like when you're in the meat of the story and it's them telling stories and like hanging out in front of the fireplace you get so absorbed especially as a horror fan the fun of it you're like yeah like they're telling serious stories this is like my dream weekend like no power in front of the fireplace zah telling stories and you almost like kind of forget everything that's going on to the point that's really effective that like anytime they come out of the stories and you kind of see fred getting a little more wound up you like are reminded and you're like oh yeah but then you have so much because fanny is so confident that I almost feel safe with her as a viewer, as another woman. I'm like, well, Fanny, you know, she's not going to let anything happen to her. You know, she's so strong. She's in control of the situation. And that's why the third mm. act hits so hard because of the fact that, like, now the fun for the night is over. There's no more stories. And there's no other witness um, because Pete's boy's gone. And that's when Fred really is amping it up. And that's when I truly felt fear because – up until that point, I was like, oh, I'm having a grand old time. Mm-hmm. This is so funny. This is so fun. And then it's just like that whole facade drops from Fred. And I think, you know, as an abused woman, as truly any woman, I mean, any woman, you know, you can't walk in the street alone at night. You have your car keys between your fingers. Um, you know that feeling instantly of just being like, where is the, the nearest exit? Like, I have to make sure that I can get out of here, even if that means like leaving yeah. my prized possession, my 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 book of all my ideas and anything, whatever it is. Um, So I think as a whole, this whole movie works together so well. And once again, like, thank you for making it, not only because um, it's so funny and enjoyable and a great Halloween watch, but for everything that you did um, Mm. as a male ally. And yeah, I mean, like sharing is a huge part of that, like just like raising other voices up. So thank you so much. Thank you. I, I'm I'm learning. I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot every day. I mean, I I learned today about you know the term um, gatekeeper. You know, as it as it pertains to white women. You know, from from an African American side. Yeah, I was reading that on your uh, Instagram story. Yeah, and there's you know it's something. It's a funny conversation because there's a lot of I understand the eye rolling of all the new language. You know, and when comedians, even even ones that are woke, but you know, like oh microaggression is a new term. Um, but it's important now. This is like, you know, 12 years ago, um, I'm going to say a bad word that begins with the letters F-A-G. But sometimes, uh, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, um, you know, the word faggot was the punchline to some sketch, sketch jokes. Um, or worse words were the punchline for the sake of being edgy mm-hmm. um, to, uh, in, in, in sketches in live sketches that I would be a part of or that I would see because it's like, that's the edgy thing to do. Or on a much brighter note, you'd see in Friends or in, you know, I don't know, She's the One or something like in, you know, movies in the early 2000s or in the late 90s, calling people gay and, you know, gay being like quite made fun of quite a bad thing mm-hmm. quite frequently. You, you, you realize how recent, and you're looking at it with race, how how recently um, we're kind of we were kind of uh, I don't know we were we were sort of behind where our sensibilities weren't weren't woke where we were where we we were doing and saying inappropriate things. You look at you know 
I mean, a lot of a lot of old television shows and movies. I mean, these you know, we I watched Kramer versus Kramer the other night with my fiance and Dustin Hoffman as he's leaving after getting a uh, getting a uh, getting a job, you know, on Christmas Eve to support his kid. He takes a woman's head and brings her in for a kiss, a stranger, and says Happy New Year or Merry Christmas. And this was a norm in movies, mm -hmm. which meant that it was a normal representation of the type of culture that existed. You know, so even ten years ago. You know, you'd be using language that if you use today, I mean, it was, you know, you have, no one absolutely should be using that language, especially for, you know, what's considered to be smart comedy, but we're still growing. There's going to continually be conversation and continually be terms that should be outed and diluted and it will make you smarter. And so again, I'm, you know, I'm learning every day. I'm learning every day about, you know, the, the value of being like, um, you know, uh, uh, not saying fuck for a punchline or anything worse, but and also just like trying my best to say something in what I do, even though what I want to do is like just elicit the fun escapist feeling of the movies that we watch as kids. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, right. it's important to have all these conversations and, and learn along the way. Yeah, absolutely. So on the topic of strong female characters, we have to talk about Aya Cash because mm -hmm. we were obsessed with her. She was, yeah. on top of being an incredible strong female lead, so fucking funny like so funny yeah I really want her to do a one woman show of grandpa just so I can watch it like oh. every day it's so good <laughs> she had this one line at the beginning when she's trying to get Fred to tell the story where she's like get up and scare me motherfucker we're burning we're burning moonlight whatever the hell it was and I immediately I was like I love this woman I love this woman whatever she can do no wrong um so what was it like to work with her? I have to imagine it was so fun. Well, the, the wonderful thing about Aya is that she comes from the live performance world, as does Chris. And that's why and how she's willing to take bold choices and be so funny, like to do voices and to, um, you know, bark like a dog and do Crypt Keeper impressions and, and do everything that she did. Um, you don't get that with a cosmopolitan TV actor or an actor who just came up doing screen stuff. She comes from the theater world. She used to get in her hands dirty. It's the same thing with Chris and even Becky who plays Bettina. Coming from the live world puts um, calluses on you and, and, and makes you collaborative and willing to make an ass of yourself, which is great. So Aya's awesome. I mean, we read through the script once. She was down to do something different after You're the Worst. The You're the Worst had just finished and she I just said, like, look, you know, bring to it whatever you want. But, um, you know, this is kind of an excuse for you to, you know, do some maybe challenging things or things that your fans certainly haven't seen you do before. And what I loved um, most about what she said going into it, which is just exactly the type of dream actor I like to work with um, and like to think the kind of actor I am, is she's like, I... Uh, I, I don't need to like stand in the corner and like get all worked up and get my head into a dark place to get to some, I don't know, uh, uh, some method um, or enact some method for my craft or whatever. I like make crass comments and, you know, flirty jokes and jump around and sit on Apple boxes. Like she's just like, I'm just going to be you know, wanting to be there and hang out and have fun and work. And that's also the nature of this size thing. You know, we weren't shooting the boys. This was a very tiny, you know, indie. So anyway, she was wonderful and so down and so willing to play. We had her for nine days of a 14-day shoot. Um, and she got the flu, I think, for like three or four days of our shoot. Um, 
and uh, still powered through. And you know, it was it was. She's amazing. She's um she's unbelievable. Brought a big big bag of scones. You know, last day. <laughs> um, loves loves scones. Yeah, she's 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 rad. She's incredible. Um, you also brought up Bettina. Oh. Um, I yeah. <laughs> she's so goddamn funny. She I honestly even from second one before we even got to Aya, her in the car with her whole bit doing like the for sure for sure for sure for sure shore i was like once again <laughs> I, I was yeah. laughing so hard she's and then when she comes back at the end and she like takes a piece of cold pizza and she's just so so funny i had to make note of how funny she was as well and we actually we watched scare me twice and the second time we watched it mm. we totally missed the scene that comes like three seconds into the credits which like oh yeah the, yeah the because like the ending is so funny like because you're like oh my god and then I was like oh what a funny ending and then like totally missed it the first time so glad I watched it again because I was like oh my god it's so much funnier now like yeah. it's so satisfying <laughs> in like the worst way um but yeah I mean I could go on and on about how, how funny this film is but something else I wanted to touch upon is the fact I mean beyond the fears that women have of men mm-hmm. and stuff like that is like I feel like you also tackle um as a writer like almost fears you have as a writer like insecurities writer's mm-hmm. block and beyond the comparison of like man to woman but just like writer to writer like someone else that's more successful than you and they have what you want and I gotta be honest, I was like felt called out. I was like, am I Fred? Because I was like, I am lacking discipline um, to like sit down every day and like write, which I know I should be doing. Um, so I was like, you know, this is also really scary in that sense. Like, oh my God, he's like seeing into my deepest fears. What's going on? Um, so I guess my question for you, because you obviously wrote this movie and you do write, is how do you see yourself in Fred in that sense of feeling insecure or getting stuck in writing and when you do feel that way like what is your process like how do you push through that and like make yourself productive oh my god that's it's a great question i I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday in an interview um i'm both of them i'm i'm lazy and um i can be lazy and i've come out of hopefully come out of a cloud of it of entitlement or feeling entitled and certainly feeling entitled to other people's success you know especially like the the nugget of gender competition or intragender com- competition I used to have it with a male colleague of mine partner we call each other out yeah but is that is that really a good idea ba 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 that kind of needling is interesting but i'm both the lazy and yet entitled wanting um, wanting the accolades, desiring of the end game writer. And I'm also the one who's like, you know, I'll like lay on my stomach and pull an all nighter to get to, you know, to get a barf draft out. And she's like, I will do the work and do it quickly. But there's so many scripts that I've written that I've either just like not outlined and just like free wrote, but hit the hit a wall at 33 pages. Cause I didn't know where I was going to go. I've done that three or four times. But, um, but I'm certainly also the one to kind of to, to, to drive through, which is the heartening thing about hearing that this is a hard thing to do. It's not supposed to be easy to sit down and like pound out a thing. When I um, get the judgy voice in my head, um, I hate to say it's rare, um, but, it, but that I have a confidence to it, but that comes with its own side effects. So um, what, I'll, what I'll often do is, 
the work will come out in a burst and then I'll go, well, whatever, if it's not working and then I'm not gonna put in the work to push through to the end. When something's going um, and I'm getting a bit of a judgy voice, I think the best thing I can do is like remain open to feedback. Um, regardless of if people I'm showing it to are coming, their feedback's coming from a competitive place or from a place of wanting to raise me up. Um, I was resistant to someone who was giving me feedback about, you know, introducing a third character, which is one of the most brilliant pieces of advice from a producer named Ray Winsome, who we went to to asking to, for money for the film, which he didn't end up investing in, but he gave us great advice. One of them was like, introduce a character in the midpoint. So resistant to that. And I was so resistant to another suggestion he had, which is originally Fred was just a light switch psychopath just conveniently, oh, now it's adaptation. Now he's gonna be, suddenly he's, you know, whatever, Mike, Michael Myers or something. Right. And he's like, more interesting if it was gray area, if it was the situation women find themselves in at the end of the night. And I'm like, fuck yeah, of course it is. Um, and so trying to not be resistant to other people's feedback and being open to hearing other people's feedback is a big one. Um, to take a step back from all that. If you have the judgy voice and you can't quite plow through, um, I find exercise of any kind or like not writing is really, really good. Like the activity of like when people say great stuff comes to you when you're showering or when you're taking a walk or going for a run to get into your body, whether it's, you know, I'm gonna hop in the shower, I'm gonna walk around the block. That's really, really good. Um, that's a, I, I like Mark Duplass's recommendation to like write when you're like workout shorts or something so that if, you're, if you are in your judge head, you're just like, fuck it, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go for a walk. I'm gonna run around the block or you know, do jumping jacks or whatever it is and then come sit back down. I like that advice a lot, but I'm definitely both of them. I've definitely done both, said both, felt it all, you know, um. Well, something that I thought was really ambitious about your movie is that when I first watched it, I didn't watch a trailer for it, so I just knew, you know, the basic plot line of it. And I kind of expected that it was going to cut away and have like vignettes, kind of like an anthology, because that's, mm. you know, a typical movie of the structure. So I was really surprised and very, very pleased to see that it was just two people talking to each other, but it relies so heavily that you guys have chemistry, that the acting is good, that the writing is good. So I wanted to know, was the whole script kind of set in stone when you guys shot, or was there any improvisation that went into it as you were going, where you kind of, you know, made adjustments here and there, added things, took things out? There were definitely, uh, there, were, there were moments and opportunities for improv. That's what you want to do as a director, is make your actors feel comfortable enough to be like, hey, you don't have to worry about ums and uhs, the dialogue here. You can like do your thing. So like Aya, I'd say even maybe more than Chris, Chris played a lot more in taking his time and facial expressions and how you know lines were delivered and the like. Aya was constantly coming up with improv lines. So I didn't even know what the word incel meant until she said it <laughs> in, in the beginning of 2019. Honestly, I was like, oh, incel, I got to look that up. She was like, what are you, an incel, dude? <laughs> That's Anaya Cash improv. Um, the uh, uh, yeah, bitch, I got this Zumba like line. Like there was oh some God. moments of that. That's all Aya Cash gold. But we didn't have a lot of time to improv. You know, again, we shot. 13 and a half days and I had her for nine days like for the werewolf story or most of the time and you just see me 
and I'm like, you know, standing up in front of the couch, I'm the only actor in the house, you know, I'm, I was reading with my fiance off camera, you know, um, so uh, it, we didn't have a whole lot of time to open it up, but you want to create that environment for your actors to feel like they, they can, they can do all that stuff. And why, yeah, I'm glad you find it pleasantly, you know, surprising uh, or just pleasant in general that there's, you know, two, three people telling a story in the house. The pitch was always going to be, you know, selfishly, well, I can't afford the vignettes. I can't afford the full werewolf costume. I can't afford to, you know, all those company moves. But what if we brought the, um, the anthology to us and never left the campfire and made this a sound designer's movie, you know, mm. made this a composer's movie and an actor's movie. And uh, luckily, luckily people, you know, are finding the, uh, finding the minimalist film is, is effective, which is really, really cool. I mean, yeah, you brought up sound design and that's something we also took note of is like, it's so good. It's so cool because it's like, it balances perfectly of like, you know, it starts out, they're making mouth noises and it's really, really silly to then like ease into almost naturally it becoming like, oh, a real werewolf going up the stairs or, you know, the lady in the attic really hearing it. So I guess what was your process in like crafting that? Wanting to make the sounds not distracting. So um, the big thing was, you know, make it sound as if, you know, whatever, the, the unsheathing of the knife when she walks to the stairs or before she walks to the stairs really sounds like, you know, subtle and like the, you know, the shink coming out of the, the butcher block or that the taps, uh, God, we work so much on the like the clicking and clacking of the dog paws on the stairs and not making it too big or too small. Or when the dog keels over in grandpa, when the dog is poisoned, not making it cartoonish, but making it more subtle, um, you know, that, that was, that was the biggest thing. If anything, I was, I was pulling back, you know, our, our sound mixer and designer, John Moros and, and Ian Steinis are brilliant. And um, they were happy to come aboard a film that was so sound design forward. Cause you don't usually, that, that can sometimes get sort of put by the wayside, but it's, it's major for comedic opportunity. Like mm -hmm. a, a floor creak is so, so major for a laugh, you know, the timing of it and the sound and, and, and timbre of it and everything. Um, so a lot of it was just like keeping it as grounded as possible. What would it really sound like if there were someone upstairs, et cetera, et cetera. Right, 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 right. Um, so this movie obviously premiered at Sundance. Mm -hmm. um, the last have, festival ever. <laughs> yes, right, right, right. Ever in time. Um, I have to know, like, that experience must have been so incredibly cool for you. Like, what is it like to have a movie at Sundance? It was really cool. I think the two things that stand out for me, there's three things that stand out. The first thing is the phone call, getting the phone call like, hi, is this Josh? Yes, this is Charlie Sextro calling from Sundance. I'd like to introduce, I'd like to, to, to bring your film to play at Sundance Midnight. And I was just like, cool, that sounds great. Great, just come and play it. You know you made my day? Like, you know, and then being late for um, a meeting because I had to call the entire crew and tell them one by one, you know, that all this work that you did, it's paying off here, you know, and mm -hmm. thank you. And, um, you know, working through the snow and sleet and rain was, was not for naught. Um, and then the second, second piece of it was the actual screening itself, the attention um, and the care and the creator forward, like vibe of the festival was really rad. Like to be able to like introduce the film you know, and like get choked up. Like the moment I walked up on stage, it was like looking out at the midnight crowd. I was like, thank you so much for coming. 
you know, just like immediately, was, oh, oh, this is, I forgot. You're just supposed to like be, you can allow a little bit of emotion for this uh, profound moment, but sitting back down and then the technician kneeling next to you and adjusting the volume to your liking. You sit on the aisle and they say, okay, Mr. Rubin, do you want the volume up a little bit? Is the movie starting? And I'd say like, yeah, up a little bit. And he'd radio to the projectionist saying, oh, he wants the volume up. You know, stuff like that. It's just like, what care? Oh my goodness. And then <laughs> the other piece of it, um, I'd say the last uh, most profound memory and takeaway of it is spending that time there with my friends, um, with my cinematographer and my fiance and my best friend, uh, Charlie, and um, our, our composers who came. And like, that was all great. And that was a big piece of what the festival folks tell you in advance is don't go crazy trying to go to every screening and meet every person like you're going you got your thing there that's great but like some of the best memories aren't the overcrowded parties they're the like you know the night in the condo with your buds at the end of you know right evening um otherwise it's kind of a circus and that's why it's important for us to also have the conversation with filmmakers like it's not the be all end all like yes it's very cool it's a nice pat on the back it's one brief swath in a timeline, but it, it does not equate your value as a filmmaker. Um, it's just a really cool thing to happen, but it's kind of a circus. It's like kind of a shit show and the best part is going with your friends. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, we also love Shudder, obviously. I mean, that's how we saw your movie. We are like, we're desperate <laughs> for Shudder to just give us love because we give them so much love. And obviously you had to work with Shudder, I'm assuming, for them to pick this up so what's it like working with shutter i mean oh man oh they're so cool i mean like emily gatto sean redlitz uh sam zimmerman who curates shutter like he finds all of the obscure and diverse and um creator forward pieces and originals uh emily who is head of acquisitions and finds them. They're incredible. They're like a clubhouse. They're they're like a clubhouse of like creator forward filmmaker friendly people. And you, you can't, you know, can't wish for a better thing. Um, and they're, 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 they're foraying into original content, which is great. You know, normally they, they sort of, they're acquiring um, pieces, but I'm so excited to be able to hopefully down the road, like start on something from the ground up with them because they're just so wonderful, but they, they've been great. I mean, we sent, my manager sent the original cut of Scare Me to them on a whim, you know, to see if I could maybe score a directing job on Creepshow, which I didn't, you know, that's all like masters of horror people. There's still um, time, there's still time. There's still time, maybe I could play, you know, you know, a troll. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, that was to totally sent to them on a whim and they were like, uh, we need this, you know, they, they, they responded, we're like, you know, so, so, I just set out to do the bucket list thing. I'm like, I'm just going to make a tiny ass movie, no matter if I hold the boom and act at the same time, if it, if it costs $500 or $5,000, um, let alone Shutter picking us up and picking us up before Sundance, let alone Sundance. Um, uh, it, it's, it's, yeah, a dream come true. And they're, they're incredible. They're really, really wonderful people. Oh, that's so nice. To yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe you'll get so lucky and you'll be on Joe Bob's last drive-in eventually. Oh my that god, it'd be, be a dream. It'd be so a dream. Cool. I'll dress up as Elvira, Elvira <laughs> cosplay, and be like, <laughs> yeah. hey, Joe. Oh my goodness. Alex, do you have any last questions? Did you want to um, bring up? I know I've been like hogging this much. Oh no, it's fine. You know, I like when you, you talk. Um, 
my main the main story that really like captured my attention was grandpa as i mentioned um was there any inspiration behind that is there anything that you yeah. know from your own personal life that you put into that or is it just something creepy that you thought would be you know a slavic old man with one winking eye is just terrifying <laughs> Once again, that is um, the Slavicness was was Aya's uh, Aya's game. You know, um, originally she just reminded me. I totally forgot about this, but when when I pitched her on doing the movie, she suggested doing Fanny with a Russian accent, like playing Fanny as a Russian girl. <laughs> and I was like, that might be a bit much. But if you, I'll tell you what. If you wanna, you wanna make one of your stories all a Russian character, like, you know, this older grandpa. So that was kind of how that worked out. Um, and also originally, like some of the stories were, so, I always knew I was gonna do werewolf, but I didn't quite know who was gonna be telling what story um, necessarily. Obviously it all kind of came, you know, fell into place accordingly, but um, you know, uh, yeah, I'd originally thought maybe I'll do like my old man voice and just decrepit kind of um, physical comedy for this character. And then having her do it, let alone her doing it with that voice. Um, yeah, that, that's all, uh, that's all her. And, and the, I think I retro engineered that story from the dead dog side. Uh, I, I made up a ghost story, never had a ghost encounter in my life, but like for some reason, um, Oh God, when I was like nine or 10, I was home alone and I heard like footsteps upstairs, but it was just an old creaky house. And I fantasized um, walking around the stairwell from the kitchen. Like, I think I might've even grabbed a kitchen knife <laughs> off to the side of the stairwell and just kind of like imagined how scary it would have been if a, like a mangy sort of like, um, um, like, like, like black sheepdog walked down the stairs, like lumbered down the stairs and out the back door. And I just kind of created this story in my head um, and told people that was something that, no, I definitely <laughs> really happened. It was like, it's like, there's no middle. It's just a beginning and an end um, or just a middle. Uh, but I would, I, I was like, well, here's this ridiculous, silly, brief, you know, one sentence horror story. What if I retroactively, you know, built something around that? And somehow we came to a, uh, the one woman show that is Aya's grandpa. It works. Mm. Yeah. And her, her little girl awesome. voice. Yes, that's what I was uh, just going to say that. Like, so good. Awesome. Uh, so and she's, she, she's a teenager. She still has the voice. Hilarious. Yeah. So yeah. funny. Howard the Duck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, comedy uh, gold. Yeah, well, yeah. to start wrapping things up, um, I'm going to ask you a few questions about horror in general. So what mm -hmm. is your favorite horror movie of all time? Oh man, I I uh, I want to call myself basic for saying Jaws, but I don't think it's that basic of a choice. I think Jaws is pretty great. If it counts, I think it does. It definitely counts. It counts. It does, right? Yeah. I'd say my. I think my. Uh, I think a close second, if we want to go more like traditional, is it is probably Stephen King's Cat's Eye. It's probably the anthology movie. Drew Barrymore with the troll coming out of the wall. There's your Devin inspo. Yeah. Very nice. What's your guys? My favorite, well, this is a hard one because I say my favorite movie yeah. in general of all time is The Lost Boys. Um, mm. That's a good one. Um, but to be fair, because it's my favorite movie of all time, I usually take that out of the running. And then my favorite horror movie is Scream, I would say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Scream is also my favorite. I watched Scream when I was like six and it just kind of 
started my love of horror and I've never I've watched it a hundred times it's never bad it's always like terrifying and funny I can watch Matthew Lillard do anything all day long yeah. oh, so oh. Good. I feel that way about Dead by Dawn actually like the Evil Dead like remake I thought it was really really like the first remake mm-hmm. so, so fun to watch but yeah Scream is like it hits all sides of the palette mm-hmm. yeah Wes Craven was a genius oh yeah can't touch him I could watch Matthew Lillard like spit up on himself for hours <laughs> hours yeah. Um, I have. Yeah, <laughs> on loop, on loop. Um, but okay, what is your favorite anthology horror? Cat's Eye, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. I think Cat's Eye, I'd say too, um, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie mm-hmm. is really fun. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think that one and, um, and uh, I love the Twilight Zone movie too. Me too. So good. I just watched it. It was yeah. so good bonkers and it was some, some terrible stuff happened by yeah, the production yeah yeah no. yeah with john landis very sad yeah but i thought that was really fun i probably watched that one 100 times too um what's your favorite werewolf movie uh i i think this is a controversial one i think bad moon <gasps> we love great. bad moon great that grandma is so good Fucking love that i now to be fair i haven't seen ginger snaps yet you should. Okay, okay. Very good. But okay, so you guys are feeling more bad moon than, than ginger ginger snaps. I honestly I've feel like they're pretty even for me. I think oh. I would pick ginger snaps if you know, gun to my head, but they're both great. Yeah, there's something about I don't I don't love the like gratuitous like boobs and shotgun scene in the very beginning because it was just like okay, Morgan Creek in the nineties. Right. Um, but everything after that, like the uncle and the anamorphic lenses and the kid and the dog and Hemingway, I just thought I don't know. I, I and the suit is just so rad. Um, I my uh, the movie I just wrapped before lockdown is called Werewolves Within, and and Bad Moon was um, Bad Moon was a reference for for the look. Um, just sort of showed my cinematographer. I was like, I wanted to look like stylistically like this movie. This like the 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 visual is just so so good. Like the blur, you know, on these uh, on these anamorphic lenses. So yeah. So there might be a werewolf movie in the future we could hop back on and talk about. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, please, please. I love a werewolf movie. I make her sit through so many werewolf movies. Yeah, you do. I'm obsessed. Oh, I hope it lives up to your guys, you know, your guys' standards when it when it drops. Oh, I'm sure that it will. Um, Did you direct it? I did, yeah. And I I wasn't in it. I was directing. It was um, uh, Sam Richardson um, in the lead and um, Cheyenne Jackson, Michaela Watkins, Rebecca Henderson, Michael Chernus, uh, Harvey Guillen from What We Do in the Shadows. Oh my um, God. It's, it's a, a really cast. good cast. Yeah. That's going to be so fun. I'm so excited. Uh, something, yeah, something that I noticed about uh, that makes me laugh about Bad Moon is just the fact that the siblings remind me of that like Folgers commercial where it seems like they like are sleeping with each other. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like that was the vibe that I got a little bit. It was a Folgers commercial with like a sexy like late thirties like du- like sibling sibling duo. You've never seen this? Oh my I don't god! Is it from the eighties? Oh, uh, I want to say it's from the nineties. Okay, wow. Definitely I mean, look yeah, it up. Just... It's like his brother comes <laughs> How back. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she's like in on the counter, and he's like, "Hey, sis," and he like brings her a gift, and and he like puts a bow on her nose. And if you did not know better, you'd be like, "Oh, married couple for sure." Right. If but you then put they're it like. On TV. Right, yeah. But then they're like, you know, oh, brother and sister. And you're like, my, I don't think I should be seeing this. The best part. Wow. That's, <laughs> it's going to oh. rock your world. It's going to rock your well, shit. Uh, yeah. I will, I will look that up. I will YT that YouTube. I have to see this word. Oh, wow. All right. Well, we don't want to keep you a lot longer. It has been 
truly a gift speaking you, to you today. So thank this you. This is so pleasant. This so is a wonderful much. last minute chat. Oh my God. We were so worked up. We were so nervous. We were like, yeah, oh no, God, so stressed. We're going to look like <laughs> fools. Um, oh, so is there anything you would like to say about Scare Me to our audience before we wrap it up? Oh man, if you're, if you're ready to try something different, ready to watch something unique, ready to, uh, you know, watch, just uh, watch what they call a talkie, but a different kind of talkie, <laughs> over to Shudder and check out Scare Me. I promise it won't disappoint unless you like short, punchy, violent, hostile-like horror. Then it will disappoint you. Mm, yeah. But keep it Very fair. And watch us do Crypt Keeper impressions and reference Lovely Bones. That's the kind of movie we Okay, well, Amazing. that's all we got for you guys today. Um, it has been, as I said, such a pleasure talking to Alex, as always, but also Josh mm -hmm. Rubin. Um, I swear to God, if you guys don't watch this movie, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll do something. You don't want to see what it is. You don't want to see. No, absolutely not. Absolutely um, not. So thank you once again. And as always, you guys, keep it creepy. Bye. Bye. Bye.